Hello and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with the indicast.com. I'm Abhishek and to talk about the Independence Day issue, joining me over the phone is uh, the associate editor Dinesh Narayan from Delhi. Hi Dinesh. Hi Abhishek. It's always been a pleasure to talk to you. It's only been I guess a couple of issues back when you were here with us to talk about the anniversary one and uh, now you are in Delhi. Uh, yes, very much in Delhi. Yes. And 15th August is nearing. So, how is the environment out there in the city in terms of security, at least? Delhi is always, you know, a city with very high levels of security, and this time is no different, especially after the Bombay attack. Right. So, there is always some sort of an alert in Delhi. But right. more than uh, more than security, the most interesting thing that's happening in Delhi is in the Parliament. Parliament has been, you know, very there's been a lot of action in Parliament over the Lokpal, over the CWG issue. So in general, the, there is a there is a sense of siege of the government in Parliament at least. Yep, and uh, newspapers are having a field day in getting something interesting on the front pages every day. But, of course. <laughs> right. Talking about that and the challenge that uh, newspapers and magazines have. One of the biggest ones is that uh, the Independence Day, it comes each year. You know you have to work towards getting out an issue which grabs the audience's attention. So everyone's writing about it. So what does this issue of Forbes India have for us, Dinesh? Well, the last year when we were uh, releasing our Independence Day special, in fact, not releasing, when we were designing the special edition for Independence Day, what we did was we looked at uh, the external factors and other countries and India's relationship with them and generally external affairs, strategic affairs, and we did with in collaboration with the career, the Delhi-based think tank. And this year, when we were thinking of what to do for the Independence Day special, I mean, it was almost a, almost a no-brainer that, that we had to look internally because over the past one year, things have changed so much. Mm-hmm. There's so many allegations of corruption, big ticket scams, Maharashtra chief minister being sacked, right. one minister, one central minister in jail. Things had changed dramatically. And we knew that uh, the only thing to do was to look internally and see what are the, what we call the fault lines in India right mm-hmm. now. We went ahead with that. Right. And one of the essays uh, comes directly to the point of uh, the violence that is widespread in certain sections of uh, certain states in India. And one lengthy piece written by Anut Chopra talks about Maoists some of which was mentioned in the previous uh, cover on terrorism by Mr. Vaslekar as well. Now, uh, India celebrating its independence and so many states still, they're still fighting for it, aren't they? At least a few states in India. So how big is this problem in terms of national interest, Dinesh? You know, it's very clear that, you know, the problems which we see in in these states and about 23 out of 28 states in the country face this problem in some way or the other. Some have more intense problem. Some not so intense, but uh, a lot many states. And if you look at it, what they call the Red Corridor, which extends from the Nepal border up to almost the tip of Kerala, northern tip of Kerala, you can see a very long arc which uh, goes through uh, many of the mineral-rich states uh, in the country, like Orissa and uh, Jharkhand. You can see clearly that even after more than six decades of independent existence, there are still some people who have been left out of the mainstream and there are problems which persist probably which uh, persist right from uh, pre-independence days. So that fault line clearly remains and it's probably intensifying rather than abating. That's what we think. 
Right, and in fact, since January 2007 and June this year, Naxalites attacked 1,241 economic targets, damaging power plants, roads, mines, railway property, telephone towers. So is the government listening somewhere out there that... Yes, in many ways. You know, in fact, the Prime Minister said as far back as in 2006 that Naxalim is, is the gravest threat to India's internal security. And that means that there was a recognition of this problem as far back as that mm-hmm. in 2006. And if the problem has intensified through the past five years, that means that the government has not been able to effectively handle this. I mean, so this goes back to a point which Pratap Bhanu Mehta uh, of the Center for Policy Research, who has written the lead article for us this time, mentions that so one of the reasons of these uh, unrest is it is a product of uneven governance. And one point he makes is that the distinction between what is public and what is private has become eroded in many in every sense. And uh, this false line exists because uh, people have not been able to participate in the India's growth story. That is one of the main reasons for this, and which is very, very evident in these states. The Maoist threat is very high. What is the business impact in these states? How the companies are trying to deal with it and what the impact has been? Yeah, one of the things which came out of the reporters is that businesses cannot exist there without paying off these Maoists. One example he gives is that you know, it's very easy to find out which business is paying off Maoists because on, on the days when Maoists call for a bank, mm-hmm. uh, you could see their press running. And that is only press running there. So it is obvious that uh, you know they have paid off the Maoists. Uh, if I may draw a parallel, last time uh, Srinivasan, the senior editor, he was t- telling us about there is something called as the dude tax. In, exactly not in those many words, but in, in Pakistan, the, the milkmen, when, when the households pay the milkmen off, let's say if it's 7 rupees a litre, and they pay 10 rupees and the 3 rupees goes as tax to the Taliban. This, it resembles that in, in some way. Yes, yes, it is. What they call here is it's called the Rangari tax or production money. Right, and another interesting statistic was that Jharkhand contributes highest to the Maoist exchequer and it's 1,000 crores. That is an estimate. I mean, it could be more, it could be less, but uh, frankly, it's probably correct. I mean, 1,000 crores, because some of these companies which operate in these areas have very, very high stakes because of the mining interest. Mining is big business and it's very, very profitable. So people are likely to give anything to get hold of those mines. In the process, what they forget is that in one of the one of the cases which uh, Dinesh Krishnan, a photo editor who accompanied Anuj Chopra, was mentioning, is that they found that about 18 companies which were operating in the areas where they went, only one company was even mentioned by people as doing something for them. The rest of them were purely there to exploit the mines, nothing else. It is also a certain insensitivity towards the people and the environment and their existence, which is also contributing to these uh, fault lines and these uh, conflicts in these areas. Right. And it doesn't help when the level of education in those areas also is not at its best. And as in it, it pervades all throughout the country when we talk about entering into the 65th year of independence. Uh, is that, and your article says that there is a school but no teacher. And, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Right. The government is not present in these areas at all. I and mean, in fact, I had, uh, we had done a story on uh, a place called Balaghat. Balaghat is in Madhya Pradesh, bordering Chhattisgarh. There was a collector there who had actually tried to reach many of the government services to far-flung areas. 38% of the district is covered by forests. 
Uh-huh. And it is one of the most underdeveloped districts in Madhya Pradesh. In fact, the most underdeveloped district in Madhya Pradesh. And he had actually, in his three years there, he had actually managed to do a lot of work there, and which uh, development work, uh, bringing schools, bringing medical services to uh, some of these remote locations and uh, hamlets, which had actually practically eliminated Maoism from this entire district. Right. But everyone does talk about the problems which, you know, pervade these areas. But is there anything that the, your, your story covers about what could be done which could mildly help benefit states like these? Because there are there is one small portion of the population which wreaks havoc, and that's, that's mm-hmm. the case everywhere. Yeah, you know, I would uh, go back to our previous issue for that. The previous issue where Sandeep Baslekar uh, had mentioned many of the reasons for you know, how terrorism takes root in some of these areas. Mm-hmm. And two points which he mentioned was a development deficit and a dignity deficit. These two are very, very important. One of the easiest ways, as the collector in Balagat showed, was, was to reach uh, government services, basic services like education, healthcare to these people and instill some confidence in them that the government is there for them, not for somebody else, not for some business interest which is coming there to profit here. It is for the government, uh, the government stands for the people and the government is there to help them out, help them uh, their development. That's all. Gave the people's trust. I think the government yeah. has enough problems already and this is one thing that they, they need to put right at the priority list once they get their internal problems sorted out. Uh, moving ahead in the next story, which is uh, far more optimistic than the previous one, is that of a Rajasthan-based newspaper, is it, called Patrika? Uh, yes, Rajasthan Patrika. Rajasthan Patrika is uh, the biggest, largest selling daily in uh, Rajasthan. Uh, what they have been doing is that since 2009, when the new, uh, new government came to power, since they've been they've been tracking the performance of uh, legislators. So what they did was before that itself, while the elections were on, they mapped the promises made by each candidate mm-hmm. and they published them uh, in their newspaper, and which was done statewide. So every candidate was mapped, and whoever won, his promises were uh, documented in the newspaper for public consumption. And then they regularly monitored their performances against uh, the promises they made. When they were in assembly, when the assembly was in session, on an everyday basis, they kept tracking the performance. And uh, every day they would uh, have uh, three best daily performers listed in the next day's edition. O- over the several months, now, what they call it is Southern Kesitare, which means the stars of the assembly. So that has caught the public imagination, and now it has become so popular that the legislators consider themselves really honored if they find their names mentioned in that list. Right, and they actually distribute sweets in, uh, in the assembly if they find their names on the list. I think at least one of our listeners at this moment would be saying, this happens in my company too. I'm given hmm. KRAs, that is key result areas or some such and I'm appraised over if not daily mm. or quarterly or a six-month period. So I think the key here is some amount of accountability and just it, it just so happens that it is uh, a newspaper which is, uh, I think you said you said number one newspaper there. So it has that mass and the audience who read it and perhaps those many pair of eyes will know how good or bad is, is that politician doing. So One of the reasons we decided to do this story in this particular edition is, you know, uh, I should give a background to that because 
uh, at first look, the stories which we have done in this edition may look disparate. You know, whether it is doing business in conflict areas, right. which is Amit Chopra's story, or Rajasthan Patrika's experiment in making uh, legislators accountable, or the story of Kerala. They have uh, a strand running through them. Uh, one is about public accountability. This Rajasthan Patrika, which we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. it's about public accountability, and we need, we need, to, we wanted to see if many times we keep saying and we keep hearing in public debates that uh, politicians are not account accountable to anyone, and that and their performance are not monitored, and that's why that's the reason why many of these scandals happen. Right. Now. Our attempt at looking at Rajasthan Patrika's experiment was that, does it actually help or not? Hmm. Now, anecdotal experience uh, from Rajasthan suggests that it actually helps. And uh, legislators do become more responsible if their performances are uh, monitored on a regular basis. And they tend to stick to their promises, and it becomes almost a prestige issue for them to fulfill the promises they made. Now, a full impact study of this experiment is still to be made. It will be done over the next six months or so. Mm-hmm. But anecdotal evidence suggests that it is on the right track. In terms of marketing, they have pulled off something great there uh, for the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And if it brings some amount of benefit to the society, it just is a, is a bonus. That's how I, I would look at it if I read it uh, from a third-person perspective. Yes. And as you mentioned, there were three stories, one which involves Kerala. Yeah, yeah. You are, you are from Kerala, aren't you? I am from Kerala. I am from Kerala. I, uh, even though I was uh, one brought up outside Kerala, I spent about 10 years in Kerala. Uh, frankly, the story also came out from growing up during my adolescent years there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the reason was why we thought of Kerala was that Kerala was is one of the states still which uh, ranks very high up on development indicators. And the Kerala model of development, which was followed over the decades, has been a model which has been studied all over the world by economists. And, you know, one of the first persons to mention it as an ideal form of development was, uh, development model was Amar Singh. And uh, Kerala was showing these high uh, development indicators, whether it is... uh, uh, child health, maternal health, education levels, uh, all these were publicly provided and that uh, has stood the state in uh, very good stead. Mm-hmm. But that was uh, some years ago. And over the years, I've been seeing a certain amount of... Uh, meanwhile, the, another interesting fact was that economic growth in Kerala was pretty low, even though social indicators were high, which was the case early until about 10, 15 years ago. But over the past 10, 15 years, what we've been seeing is uh, a boom in consumerism, a boom in uh, aspiration, which has created some fault lines in the in the state. There is a certain element of religious polarization happening in Kerala, which was which I could not see while I was there. Uh, you know, this uh, and right now the polarization seems to be increasing, though it is not very very evident that the electoral politics level thing unlike other states where it seems to be where people actually like whether in UP or Bihar there is a certain there's a certain kind of politics which is practiced where the polarizations are quite evident but in the electoral politics of Kerala even though the Muslim League has been you know one of the one of the parties which has always been in power whenever the Congress was in power they have they had the alliance for a very long time 
but there was a radical uh, a slightly more radical uh, element in kerala which was uh, seeing a rise over the past few years now in the last election it was very evident that uh, people voted against that radical thought and the muslim league which is a moderate uh, party which which won clearly won the votes there but at the same time uh, there are other indicators in kerala which are really alarming right now which is the suicide rates i mean that is one part about religious polarization and one of the examples which we start the story which is also uh, that of a professor it's the same college where i studied newman college at sturdiga where i studied which is about uh, 60 kilometers from kochi and and the professor as the, the first paragraph itself talks about how he was yes. his hand was cut out from the wrist because mm. what did he do wrong dinesh actually in one of the question papers he said uh, a malayalam question paper is is it for an examination there was a conversation between god and the character called muhammad it was taken as that you know it was mischievous and muhammad was meant to be the prophet muhammad even though the professor says that he did not have the prophet in mind but in fact it is that the entire passage is actually taken from a book and in that book the conversation is between a madman and god which is actually the madman himself acting out god as well as himself so the context was slightly changed in this and this created a huge problem something like this i could not have imagined 20 years ago when i was i was in kerala apart from that some of the other indicators like suicide rates alcoholism rates these are going going up kerala is one of the uh, ranks way below in terms of mental health uh, as compared to the national average so it's it's ironic that it's the most literate state in india this is the other side of kerala where you spoke about the suicide rate your article does state that uh, 3% of the country's population is kerala and it contributes 10% of all suicides precisely this precisely what we want to we want to analyze we want to know why a state which is so progressive where visible uh, there is no visible poverty where uh, development indicators are very high it ranks some you know all, uh, along with the us or some of the european countries so a, a state which has such high development indicators and uh, reasonably well off people you don't see the kind of poverty which you see in say in uttar pradesh or bihar or right. madhya pradesh in kerala it is not visible at all so highly politically aware people in spite of that why is this happening why is there a fragmentation at a personal level that is what we wanted to explore in the story Is not that, that we've got answers to that but one of the things which we found was that practically each of these things are linked to aspiration so keeping up with the joneses is one of the one of the main reasons for suicides india india in that way is is an unusual case study isn't it so it's not just about education so it's also about keeping people happy and just stoking their aspirations and getting helping them get what they they want and how does one do that is something that i don't know if any country has been able to answer that actually that's what exactly what we wanted to bring out through this package that is why the stories might seem uh, disparate but uh, there is a strand running through them that you know in a state which is uh, has high development indicators has this problem now why does this problem crop up one final question dinesh is that given all this uh, the problems and the way the government has, has handled it so far should india deserve or the government deserve a few a few more years to get it right considering the fact that we 
were liberalized in 1992. So the independent India, as such, in terms of business and the shackles, is only 19 years old. And a few, until a few years ago, it was an adolescent, in, in the words of Gurucharan Das, an eminent author. You would need a few more years to get things right. I mean, you can't uh, correct every anomaly in the country overnight, obviously. But it would take a few more years. But what we need to see is a very clear vision of how we are going to get there. That doesn't seem to be coming from the government. In fact, one of the other, you know, if you could call it attraction in our uh, special independence day edition, is also a state of the nation survey. Now, the state of the nation survey has thrown up some very interesting. Results, uh, for example, the state of the nation survey clearly says that Rahul Gandhi should be the next prime minister. Manmohan Singh's popularity has dropped from, you know, drastically dropped since last year. Right. At the same time, another result was that if a snap elections were held today, then the UPA government would come back to power, probably with more seats. You know, it shows that even after all these scams, this CWB scam, the other scam, whatever you call it, all this ruckus in parliament, still nothing uh, seems to have dented the UPA's uh, popularity. Or the other reason could be that there is no alternative. We don't have an effective opposition. I think that is one of the biggest problems, right? In a democracy, when you don't yes. have an opposition which is strong enough, yeah. So that's what we have seen in the Rajasthan Patrika example. If if you if if you actually hold them to, you know, hold them accountable, uh, they also perform better. But there doesn't seem to be a clear vision from the government yet on how to face uh, and how to bridge these fault lines which have appeared in the country. Right. Although the near future looks a little bleak, let's take some you know lessons or hope from someone like Rajasthan Patrika, which is doing something interesting. So, well, that's about it from this episode. Thanks a lot, Dinesh, for your time. Thank you very much, Abhishek. And uh, before we log off, you can find this podcast at uh, business.in.com as well as theindicast.com. And you can subscribe to Forbes by messaging Forbes to 51818. That's 51818. Thanks again, Dinesh, for your time. Thank you, Abhishek. Thank you. Pleasure talking to you.